Welcome to Wednesday Word, a Bible study led by Pastor John Jenkins of Northport Baptist Church. You, you've been diving, just zooming in, zooming in, zooming in, zooming in, zooming in, like word for word zooming in. I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm going to go blimp view. You know, when you're watching a football game or you're watching sports, even today they've got those camera angles like, I mean, they're like reading the lips of the player and, you know, they got the, the camera on the referee where they're seeing like the sweat dripping off the guy. You know, they got the cameras. You get to see everything in depth. And then all of a sudden they'll show, and then we've got the blimp today. And you see like the whole city in the stadium in that. So I want to back out. And, and give you just a context of and a reminder of where we're at in Acts. And then when you go back next week with, with Pastor John diving in just real specifically, you can keep this context in your mind, all right? So I'm going to back out and just kind of walk through just big picture. And, and then hopefully what, you're walk, what you have walked through and what you'll continue to walk through, you can, this can kind of fit in the overall frame of that, all right? So... Um, we're, we're, we're thinking, let me ask you this. What, what would you say is probably the biggest miracle in scripture? Now this is opinion. All right. This is a, this is an opinion and it's not an argument. So you're just stating a fact. All right. What, what would you say is biggest miracle in scripture? Resurrection. Resurrection. Someone said Christ. I mean, maybe the birth miracle birth, right? God came from heaven to earth. What'd you say? Yep, okay. Yep. There you go. I don't got any money, but you can get up and walk. <laughs> How about for me? I am continually blown away by the fact of God's process of, of lost people coming to know Him. And I'm not talking about His part. Of it. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Him using us to be a part of that process. Here's the lost becoming saved and now going out to help save others. And, and so you look at the book of Acts and you see this wildfire get started. And it's called the church. And this wildfire starts, and it's now been burning for how long? 2,000 years, right? And it ain't burning in one little spot. It's now burning all over the world. And to think that that started with Jesus really pouring in to 12 and then 120 on as He left the earth, and to think that that wildfire is millions of millions of people today all over the world. It, it and. Then, and how he used and what he used. And so I want to, big picture, I want to I want to dive into that wildfire. All right. This wildfire, the start of the church. There's three big three, three big things that God used to start this wildfire. All right. I'm gonna go ahead and give you a little cheat sheet notice here. Hey, he's still using the same thing today. God's not changed his method or his ways in which he is spreading the church. All right. So we can be excited about that. But three things, and and, and I know it's a little small, but I, I tried to get it all on there. 
if you don't get everything, that's fine. But I like to give I like to give people who like to write something to write on and how to keep up. First thing that God used, this blows my mind. The first thing God uses, God used people. Jesus used people. If you're looking at your fill in the blank there, that's the first one. Jesus used people. I mean, you think about God, he could use anything, miracles. He could, I mean, he could literally use angels. He could use anything he wanted to use, and he uses people, ordinary people, us. You look in Acts 1-3, he showed himself to them. Who's them? People. Acts 1-4, he gave them this command. He, he, it, it blows my mind that he uses us, broken, sinful people, and yet, it's a main part of his plan. Uh, Acts 1.8, he tells disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Again, he used people. I want to point out what type of people that he used, all right? What type of people did God look to use? Number one, he looked to use surrendered people. He looked to use surrendered people. At the top of your paper, in the fill in the blank, there's these S's that's going down the side, all right? So the first, number one, is Jesus used people, and then you're going to see these S's. S's going down the side. Surrendered. You think about it. These guys left everything and said, all right, it's worth it. I'm surrendering my life, the plans, my wishes, my desires. I'm surrendering it all to you. <clears throat> Peter said, hey, we've left everything to come follow you, Jesus. And he said, yep, yeah, and you'll be rewarded accordingly. 2 Chronicles 16, 9, going to the Old Testament. This is the way that God has worked for the people that He's decided to use in mighty ways. For the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed or surrendered to Him. You want to know what type of people God used? He used surrendered people. But not only did He use surrendered people, He used servants. Your second S would be servants. He used servants. Jesus was so clear on this. Mark uh, 9, 35, sitting down. Uh, Mark 9, 35, Jesus sitting down. He called the 12 to him. And he said, hey, if anybody wants to be first, you're going to have to be last. And you're going to be a servant to all people. You know, that was the, that was the type of heart and mind that, that Jesus wanted people to, to have. And then that's what he did when people started following. He, he, he helped them to realize the importance of being a servant. Um, Colossians uh, 3, 23 and 24, this is Paul writing to the church. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as though you were working for the Lord and not man, knowing that from God, from the Lord, you receive inheritance from reward. You are serving the Lord, you know, no matter what we're doing. We're called to be a servant of Him. All right, so the first S was uh, surrender. The second S was servant. The next was strong. He looked for strong men, not men who were strong in and of themselves, but men who were willing to be strong in Him. Men who were willing to be strong in Him. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. You know, God's not looking for um, there's all kind of sayings and cliches about this. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. You know, the point is this. God set up a system to where we are supposed to be completely dependent on Him. And we are strongest when we are weakest. I think Paul writes a lot about that. We are strongest when we are weakest. <clears throat> and that's why there's sometimes that we, we can't really understand the, the fullness of God's strength until we're, we're, we're going through something where 
we don't have a choice. We don't have any options. We don't have anything else to turn to. Maybe a death in the family, or maybe we're sick, or maybe an illness, or maybe a, a loss of some stability of some financial part or something. It's sometimes in those valleys we realize how strong God is and how, how we, the only, only time we're really strong is when we're leaning in on Him. But that's, that's when He wants to use us, when we're strong in Him. Deuteronomy 31.6, this is again Old Testament just showing you the way that the heart of God works. And uh, you see other places where He calls leaders. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God go with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, He's saying, I'll be your strength. I just need you to, to rely on me. I just need you to stay, stay in me and I'll provide the strength you need. The last thing we're talking about, the Jesus used people. What type of people did Jesus use? He used spirit-filled people. He used spirit-filled people. Again, this is real close to that, um, you know, um, surrendered part of God. Um, spirit-filled. He just wants us to be a conduit. That's all He really desires is for us to be a, a vessel. Uh, 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 I, I, sometimes I tell the students, they love to hear this, you just, you just need to be a water hose. <laughs> one of those old green ones you know what you plug up to the source and let it go wherever it's supposed to go there's nothing special about us the only good in me is Jesus you know what and you see me acting like a fool that's Jared you see you see something good happening or in or within or around that's Jesus and I tell my kids that often as well uh, that's all he wants he just wants us to be a vessel he wants us to be a a, a, a conduit for His Spirit to work and move. Acts 1.4, He tells the disciples, but wait for the gift the Father's promised. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you and you will be my witnesses. So, the first piece of this disciple making or this church movement fire, wildfire, the first piece of the puzzle was people. Do you believe that that's changed to date? No, people are still a main part of this process. Now, we've looked at the type of, of people that God desires. Let me ask you this. Do you realize if you're breathing here today, you're still one of these people? It's easy to look and think about, oh, the, the people in the Bible did this and this people did this. No, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you're breathing, then you're... One of these people. You're, you're one of these. And so I have some questions for you. This is more homework. And they're on the back. <laughs> the top, the very top four questions kind of relate to what we've talked about, God using people. You don't have to fill them in right now. You can go look at them later. But I, I, I do want to, to kind of, instead of just giving you some more knowledge, let you try to process, all right, how can I become more of the, the, the man or woman that God wants me to be. But those top four questions on the back relate to God using the people. All right? Does that make sense? All right, so there's your first homework assignment. You got all week to complete them, and Brother John's going to check, so you better have it ready. <laughs> right? You think I'm joking. I'm not joking. You're not getting in next week without that. <laughs> all right so this the disciple making or this church wildfire that started people were the first part right 
Let's look at the second part. Second part, Jesus used the Holy Spirit. He used the Holy Spirit. In and of ourselves, we are not going to get a whole lot done. In and of ourselves, what's going to get done is not going to be very good, right? So we uh, were sent the gift uh, of the Holy Spirit. On one occasion, the Acts 1-4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father has promised. You receive power. Again, I keep reading these two because, again, y'all are diving into Acts, real deep into Acts. And if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in some of these things. But remembering, this is what Acts is all about. Acts is all about that God used people and God used His Holy Spirit to start this thing called the church. <clears throat> Why did Jesus send the Holy Spirit? We go around the room and, and probably like the question with the, with the miracles, we could probably get all kinds of different responses. You know, he sent the Holy Spirit for this. He sent the Holy Spirit for that. Let, let, let's dive into a, a few things of, as to why he sent the Holy Spirit, okay? Number one, we need the power of God to do the work of God. We need the power of God to do the work of God. We need the power of God to do the work of God. <clears throat> there, there's a, a thought. They did research on, on teenagers' uh, idea of who God is. So basically, they asked them all kinds of types of questions, and then based on their responses, they said, this is who, the, this is who our, our youth culture think that God is. And one of the things that they came up with was, that they think that God was a creator that basically created us and, and started the earth spinning and then just kind of backs out and says, okay, I'm here if you need me. You know, whatever, you know, if you need me, just call on me, but I, I'm not going to be involved. I'm, I'm, I'm over here. <clears throat> the, 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 the fact that he sent the Holy Spirit is, 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 a, um, is evident that, that we need His power in order to do the things He's called us to do. Not only is God all involved in our lives, and He's calling us to be all involved in His work, He's equipped us to do that. Think about this for a second. The disciples had experience. When He did some of the biggest miracles in Scripture, they were literally a part of it. Who collected the basket of food after He fed the thousands of people? Disciples. He sent them out to go do this two by two by two, right? And they cast out demons and they did this and they did that, right? They were experienced in the ways of Jesus. They were educated. You think during, during this time, uh, when Jesus said, come follow me, a rabbi invited them to, to follow him. And during that time, there wasn't the, the, the community college everybody went to. There were rabbis who said, hey, I want you to be my students. And so what you did was you followed me around every day and sat underneath my teachings. And so you think about the disciples and how they literally walked with Jesus day by day by day and received all that education, all that knowledge, all the different things of that time. They were experienced. They were educated. And then you just think they, they were literally best friends with Jesus. They were literally best friends with Jesus. So if anybody, anybody was ready to go do the work that God had called them to do, it was them. Experienced, educated, and had literally best friends with Jesus. And yet, 
He told them, don't go anywhere till you receive the gift. Don't go anywhere until you receive the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, you realize, we realize the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. That's not just to give us a little peace and a little comfort. We have that power because we need that power in order to do the mighty works that God has called us to do. Luke 24, 49 says, Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's Jesus talking, and you know Luke wrote Acts. But in the end of Luke, we we get a, 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 a different, uh, a little different, not a different account, but we get a different different way of, of explaining the, or describing the Holy Spirit. He said, "Don't go anywhere till you receive what the Holy Spirit." And he said, "The power from on high." All right. So it is critical, and and Pastor John's talked a lot about this. There's 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 been years and years and years of not getting too serious talking about the Holy Spirit because you start getting into some goofy stuff. We like we have a we as Southern Baptists, we almost have a fear of getting too serious about the Holy Spirit because it gets it gets real crazy. Well, <clears throat> and maybe in in fear of getting too crazy, I think we've kind of steered too far away from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not like icing on a cupcake, like it's mixed in the, the cake itself. We can't do anything that Christ has called us to do if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, why did Jesus send the Holy Spirit? Number one, we've got to have the power of God to the work of God. Number two, we need the guidance of God to go the direction of God. We need the guidance of God to go the direction of God. <laughs> you are not going to just figure out the steps that God wants you to take on your own. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The Bible talks about how our flesh is too strong and too worldly. I was talking to um, I was talking to some people recently who were in a deep relationship and looking at and getting married. And uh, I, I was asking them, um, you know, do you want to do you want a blessed marriage? Yeah, yeah, we want a blessed marriage. Great, great, we all do. Uh, do you want this? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, well, well tell me, um, tell me about your quiet times. We don't have quiet time. Tell me about your prayers together. We don't pray together. Well, tell me about this. We don't do that. I said, so you're walking into marriage in a situation where you're not, you want the blessing of God, but you're not willing to seek God Himself. You're walking into what I believe is one of the greatest battlefields in our world today, marriage. You're walking into marriage with a big bullseye on your back and you're not even near the Lord. Does that not sound just crazy? Now let me tell you what that sounds. That's normal. That's normal. People today just live however they want to live, and then they say, God, will you bless it? That ain't God. That's, that's, that's America. I'm going to go work hard and do what I need to do, and then things are going to fall in place for me. That's not God. Jesus said what? Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, go do whatever you want to do, and I'm going to pat you on the back, 
and I'm just going to I'm going to bless you. He said, "Come follow me." And here we are today, 2022, thinking we can do whatever we want to do and just get the 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 blessing of God sprinkled on top of us. That's not how he works. If we want to know the direction that God wants us to go, we've got to have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. John 16:33 says this, "But when he the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth." See, the danger of not taking this Holy Spirit thing serious is we're not going to be guided by God. We're going to be guided by ourselves. We're going to be guided by other people. And it ain't going to receive the, the blessings or the, 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 the impact that God wants to, to have on our lives or through our lives. John 14, 26. But the Counselor, Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Man, there's a lot of people out there today just guessing. Well, I don't know. I just kind of figure it out. You don't need to try to figure it out. You need to pray and let the Holy Spirit guide you in the ways that God wants you to go. All right? So, number one, we need the um, power of God to do the work of God. Number two, we need the guidance of God to do the direction of God. Number three, we need the presence of God to draw near to God. Again, I, I, I keep uh, stressing and pointing out, if we are not, if we're in our flesh, we're not going to choose God. If we're in, if we're not, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not going to walk in the ways that He calls us to walk. We're not going to respond the way He calls us to respond. We're not going to do the things He calls us to do. It's a big deal that He would send His presence into our lives. And so, in order for us to draw near to God, we need the Spirit of God within us. Uh, Galatians five sixteen. This is Paul writing again. He says, "So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of sinful nature." I'm going to read that again. Paul said, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of sinful nature. Barb, you look like you, you got a grasp on that, right? Okay, so what happens if we don't live by the Spirit? What will we be probably gratifying? Our sinful nature. That's one of those sentences you can very easily take one word out and see what you're going to get. We're not living filled with the Holy Spirit we're going to be living to please ourselves. And those usually don't coincide with, with our drawing near to God. All right? 1 Corinthians 2.10, But God is revealed to us by Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. God, <clears throat> this life is not really difficult if we're willing to do it the way He's called us to do it. Now, we'll go through difficult things, but as far as you know, being difficult to... to Man, we got to sit on this treasure hunt to try to figure out what God wants from my, my life. It's not like that. The more we surrender and the more we give up our desire to want to go do things and just follow, the more He He guides us. The closer we draw to Him, the more Abraham will hear His voice, and then the more we receive His blessings, and we're like, I don't want to be anywhere else. I want to continue to walk close to Him. So, got another set of questions for you for homework on the back of your piece of paper. These are in connection with the Holy Spirit and how much of the Holy Spirit are you allowing to guide your, your, your life? Uh, the second group of questions there, it says your, wild, your wildfire. Those are questions about the Holy Spirit. Alright? So the top questions are about one thing and then the middle questions are about how much are you allowing the Holy Spirit to control and direct your life? Again, uh, Pastor John will be at the door 
Check in your answers next week. All right? Mr. Don? No, there's no cheating. There's no cheating off somebody else's answers. All right, good deal. <laughs> Looking at big picture, okay? Think, now, start, now start thinking about thinking about some of the stories and some of the things you've been diving in in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9. Who, who, where y'all are at 9, right? Are, where are you at? Chapter 9, right? Yeah. Who, was there a conversion recently of someone? Saul. Now go, go, go start processing some of these things you've been learning through what we're talking about here. I, I'm just kind of painting a, a, a big picture frame and you start breaking down in these pinpoint details. God could use, and God uses people. And then he used Saul. <laughs> what? Would Saul have ever been used by God if he wouldn't completely surrender to the Holy Spirit? Right? And again, I, I, go, I go to this. I go to ask this question. You, me, we're still, the, we're still what he uses. You say, well, that Saul guy, he was really, really, really special. Yeah, he was. He was special, but more than that, he was surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And the same thing that you and I are called to be. We're still, we are still what he uses. We can still see God do amazing and mighty, crazy things for His kingdom and glory. But we've got to do it the way He's called us to do it. Right? So you start processing these things. This wildfire started 2,000 years ago. And it's still burning today. Because one, God used people. Two, God used the Holy Spirit. And number three, God used a plan. It wasn't just random. He used a plan. God used a plan. That's your third, your number three down there. You're filling the blank. God used a plan. God used a plan. And what was his plan? Go make disciples. Go make disciples. Again, going back to the first chapter of Acts, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. He's not maybe, kind of, sort of, if you want to, if you feel like it. Uh, if, 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 if you're called, you are called right there. You will be my witnesses. Um, Matthew 28, 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. God had a plan. Has that plan changed? No, that plan has not changed. Some people believe today that that plan is easier than it was years ago as far as making disciples of all nations. Because I can get on my phone or what Scott say? He was emailing somebody. Where? In South Africa, all the way around the world. You know what I'm saying? So it's so easy. Texting, calling. I mean, we literally can talk to someone on the other side of, uh, other side of the planet. Do you realize our ESL blew up because of COVID? A part of the reason why it blew up was because of COVID? What did we have to do during COVID? What did we do? But what did we, how do we do ESL? Zoom. And so Miss, Miss, uh, Miss Ruth says, hey, my aunt in Honduras would love to get on. Can she get on? Boom. Hey, uh, my, 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 my sister over here in South Africa would love to get on. Can she get on? Boom. The next thing you know, we went from like whatever, however many countries we're out here to like tripling. 
Now we've got people literally from all over the world. That, that's, that's today. You couldn't do this 25 years ago, right? And so some people argue that the disciple-making process of all the nations is, is easier today than it was before, but it's still the same plan. God uses His people filled with His Spirit and a plan for us to go and make disciples, His believers to go and make disciples. He had one plan, all right? This is your fill in the blank. He had one plan, and He didn't just say serve. He didn't just say love. He didn't just say follow. He didn't even just say witness. He said, go make disciples. Go make disciples. I think sometimes we plug in some church words there and, and feel like, man, I'm making disciples because I serve. Or I make disciples because I love. Or I make disciples because I, I, I shared the gospel. Remember, he said, go make disciples. All right? He didn't just say go love. He said go make disciples. So if you look up the, the word disciple in the original Greek, it's learner. The word for disciple is learner. So he says go make a learner of me. Go make a learner of me. It's the, 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 when you break that Greek word down, it is learner. All right? So go make a, a learner of me. What are, some what are some examples of disciple making? I'm not even talking about spiritually. We see it all the time. What do you mean? That's right. Yep. you got a football coach over here who gives interviews and random talks, and then you got a, a leadership expert somewhere putting out some principles in a, in a, in a report saying, hey, Here's how you do leadership, right? How about any of you taught your grandkids how to do anything? <laughs> any of y'all taught your neighbors, your friends, anything? Yeah, by example. You, you, you make disciples all the time. I'll give you an example. When, I, when we had one, one child, uh, she would, I think I've said this in church before, but we had one child, she would get out of the tub, I would wrap the towel around her, and then I'd play this goofy game to dry her off, and I'm wrapping her up with the towel, and I'm scrubbing her head, and this and that, and this and that. And a few years later, we have our second child. She gets big enough to kind of, you know, get out of the tub. Guess who? Guess how the big sister dries her off? Oh, come here! You know, you know. Whoa, sorry, Dad. She bumped her head. Then we have, then we have a son, and he starts taking baths. He's big enough to get out of the bath, and the middle daughter says, "Hey, can I dry him off?" Yeah, you can dry him off. Guess what she does? <laughs> Boom! Sorry, Dad. I bumped him. Up. Did I set out uh, 15 years ago to make this uh, goofy process of drying my kids off when they get out of the tub? Did I set out to do that? Now I just learned that, right? I'll tell you what else they learned. I saw one of them yesterday yelling at another one. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> and I was like. I said, don't talk to your brother like that. And you know what I thought? They learned that from you. Learned it from their mom. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Mr. Don said they learned it from their mom. <laughs> how, about, how about our four-year-old looks at one, 
looked at her 15-year-old sister and said, that's just not discipline. Focus. You need to focus. That's not discipline. Where'd she learn that from? <laughs> we make disciples all the time. That's my whole point in this, okay? We make disciples all the time. You, you, you've shown somebody how to do something. You created a learner in doing something. You make disciples. You do. You make disciples all the time. We, we really do. You see it everywhere. You know, the, the, the person who may take your uh, order at lunch today or who serves you at the table, they were discipled by somebody and how to be a waitress. There's discipleship happening everywhere. The thing is this, is are we making disciples of Jesus Christ? That, that's the thing. Is we, I think sometimes we substitute good actions for disciple-making. And in reality, disciple-making is a little more than just loving somebody. And it's a little more than just telling them about Jesus. It's a little more than just, well, I'm going to be like Christ. There's, there's a process, all right? I want, to, I want to remind you. I don't think it's hard, but I want, to, I want to walk through how to make disciples. Number one, pray for people. Pray for their salvation. This is, I'm going to, uh, how to make disciples. I'm going to make it real, I'm going to break it down real easy. Everybody in here, you walk in here, you go, well, I could do that. I know, when you're supposed to, right? 1 Timothy 2.1 says, I urge you then, first of all, that request prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for everyone. We need to be praying for, for people. We need to be praying for the people that God has placed in our lives, our families, our friends. And I'm not talking about praying for their safety or their healing. I'm talking about praying for their salvation and praying how God can use us to, to, to disciple them, to lead them to Christ and help them walk in that, in that relationship with Him. So number one, praying for people. Number two, loving people. Y'all are probably a lot better at this than our, our younger generations. We are a conditional, what can you do for me? I will love you generation. I don't know where it changed, but we y'all are a lot better at this than we are. Um, I'm going to love you if you love me first. I'm going to love you if you can do something for me. I'm going to love you if you will give me something. I, the, 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 the definition of love for the younger generation today is in trouble. Biblically speaking, we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. The, the mo Jesus was asked the most important thing, and he didn't give a parable where people were going, "What's he talking? Seeds, birds? What's he talking about?" He was, "What's the most important thing?" He said, "Oh, the most important thing is to love God with every bit of who you are." And then he barely takes a breath and says, "Oh, but the second is you love your neighbor as yourself, right?" He didn't give some parable or there's confusion. He was very clear. Love God with all the bit of you, every bit of who you are, and then love people. And man, we are in trouble today. You will never make a disciple if you don't love them. You will never learn to make disciples if you don't love people. Right? That's the problem with our younger generation. That's why this disciple-making process is, is coming slower and slower and slower because there's a lot of people that don't love. I'm going to love, I don't love them. You see what they did to me? I don't love them. I don't know them. Love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 12, 9 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another and brotherly love. Not only do we, in this disciple-making process, do we have to pray for people, we have to love people. Number three, 
We have to witness to people. Man, it is amazing to me what some people will talk about in public. I'll be sitting in restaurants and there'll be chills up my back. I'm thinking, do you know everybody in here can hear you talking about what you just said? The doctor told you? <laughs> or your sister told you? Stop. I want to turn and say, stop. People in here can hear you. We'll talk about all kinds of things. And we'll get excited about things too. I bet you the, the buzz uh, for, 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 well, I shouldn't have said buzz, but the, the talk around this town about that football game Saturday, I mean, hours upon hours people talk. I mean, they're still talking about that, right? I, there was someone that came to church, uh, some college students, and I, I saw them after church, and I talked to them, and it was the best game I've ever been to. It was unbelievable. I was there. It was crazy. I, bought my, I bit my whole fingernail off, you know. <laughs> we, witness, we, we witness all the time. We talk to people about things that are important to us. A witness is just testifying to what we've seen and what we've experienced, okay? We've got to get more excited about witnessing for Christ. If He's the greatest thing that ever happened to you, why are we not telling more people about it? Right? We've we got a lot of information about Him, but I don't know that our excitement for Him matches that. He didn't say go learn a lot about me. He said go make disciples of me. And so when we're talking about making disciples, we've got to witness. We've got to testify. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you a... Come on. I got a question. I got a question. If you're not fishing, are you really following? Because it was Jesus who said, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. If you're not fishing, are you really following? And if you're not following, I don't know how you're fishing. Right? Got to pray for people. Got to love people. Then we got to witness. And I think there's two main ways that we witness. I think we witness with our words, and I think we witness with our actions. Witness with our words and witness with our actions. Now, before we get to the, um, the easy way out and say, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, um, I'm just going to witness with my actions. I don't, uh, Pastor John's been real clear on that, and I'm, I'm with him on that. Uh, they are saved because of the, the words in which the gospel, they understand uh, there are all kind of good people or nice people in the world today. And people need to know why you are witnessing to them. It's not because you believe in an eternal happiness. It, it needs, they need to know it's because of Jesus in you, right? But our actions are a big part of our witness as well. Got to match. They got to go, go hand in hand. Uh, but people got to hear the gospel as well. Uh, being around you for a period of time and, and seeing how nice you are is not going to save somebody. They've got to hear the gospel. Psalms uh, 96.2, I like this one. It says, Sing to the Lord, praise His name, proclaim His salvation day after day. People set goals for sharing the gospel. I want to share the gospel once a year. Do you all know that many adults are... Research says that many adults today will die without ever sharing the gospel. Come follow me, 
I will make you a fisherman. I've been a Christian for 50 years and I've never shared the gospel. I don't know if that's going to fly. It's going to be a some type of discussion up there. I just don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna work. We have to witness with our words, with our lips. I, I, I proclaim His salvation day after day. I think we need to be doing it every day. I think we need to be sharing the gospel every single day, looking for opportunities. The guy at the gas station, the the, the woman at the bakery. We need to be looking. God is bringing these people across our paths like this. We need to be looking for those opportunities to witness. And witness with our actions. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right, how to make disciples. So we pray with people, uh, then we love people, and then we witness, and then we um, walk with people on their journey to Jesus. You know, that's the big thing that, that I've seen over the years is people will come to Jesus and then it's almost like they're just kind of left there. Um, kind of like, a, a, you know, my child, when he starts to walk, I've got one now that, that he's, he's walking pretty good, but he hasn't been walking that long. But like, there's still some things where he'll get to and he'll just stop. He's like, I don't know if I can cross that, that doorway there. You know, he'll look at something and it'll be a little bitty step and he's like, mm. I, I said, I mean, I mean, literally our front door is about a two inch step and he's like, mm and he's grabbing a hold of the door, and he's like, you know. It, I'm like, you got it, you got it. Look, we, 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 we've got to walk with people down this journey. We like, they come to Jesus, we've got to help them. You, 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 you know the importance of church because you were raised in a generation that said, go to church. You need to go to church, you got to be in church. My peeps want to know, why do I need to go to church? I'd rather be in the woods. Or I'd rather be watching football. Or I'd rather be doing this, why, doing that. Why do I need church? Why do I need to read the Bible? Well, I don't understand. Why, why, why do I need to pray? I'll pray when things get bad. No, we need, we need to, we've got to walk people along these journeys of them understanding, hey, here's how you get plugged in church. Here's why you get plugged in church. And here's why you, the, you need the church and the church needs you as a believer. Uh, the Bible, we need to help. I was LD, learning disability. Special education, second grade, up until ninth grade. When I got baptized, the church gave me a Bible. What version Bible was that? King James. You see where I'm going? My parents didn't disciple me. So I remember laying in my bed, conviction, knowing I needed to read the Bible. And at like the age of 14, 13, 12, 11, I, I would reach over at night and I would pull that King James Bible that the church gave me and I would open it up. Their fellow Levites Le 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 were assigned to all other duties in the tab tabernacle, the house of God, but Aaron and his descendants were the ones who presented offerings in the altar, burnt offerings, altar, and shit. Read my Bible today. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? Like you understand, you don't just open up your Bible to some random place in the Old Testament. Yeah, and they chopped his head off in the, in the middle of the battle, you know. And you, you know. You know. That's why your walk, your part in this process is so vital. 
because people need to understand the importance of church. Well, it's going to make you better. No, it's not. Jesus is going to make you better, but his, you need His people. We need each other. Here's why you need the Bible. Here's why you need prayer. Like That's why your generation is so important because you know and we need to understand better the, the, the importance of Scriptures. So, a couple of things. I put this on the back too. This is just some reminders, okay? Disciple making takes time. <coughs> Disciple making takes time. How long did Jesus invest in His disciples? The, the, the closest of His disciples, how many did He invest in? How long? How many did He invest in? How many disciples did Jesus make? Really? Think about that for a second, what she just said. Eleven. Jesus poured deeply into one for two or three years. He chose to walk away. So disciple making is not easy either. It takes time. All right? And, the, and, and, and again, I'm going to keep referring to my generation. We want something like five minutes ago. Oh, I, I'm, the, I'm the McDonald's generation, like my way right away, microwave generation. Like, oh, I wanted it done a minute ago. Like, it's me, 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 my, my, my. Like, disciple making takes time. And so you have to build that relationship and it takes time. Disciple making is our main task here on earth. I don't care what you do. That's your mission field. Who you are is a child of God. What you are is a disciple maker. What your profession is, is your mission field. Me and Dr. Ray Stewart had the same mission. Me and any other believer who's a lawyer, a teacher, whatever, we had the same purpose on life, is to go and make disciples. Where we send, where he sends us with our occupations is, is a little different. But we had the same purpose and the same mission. Number three, disciple making is what we will be rewarded for and judged on. When you stand before Jesus... Okay, let me give this example. When someone said, clean your room, I'm going to come back and make sure this is clean, what did they do as soon as they got back? They checked whatever, whatever task or assignment they gave you. When they got back, that was the first thing they did, right? That was the assignment He gave us. When we stand before Him, guess what He's going to check on? He already knows, but guess what we're going to be accountable for? What we did. What, were we obedient to the main thing He called us to do? Did we love God with all our heart? Did we love people? And did we make disciples? That's it. That's what we're going to be judged for. That's what we're going to be rewarded on in heaven. Did we do those things? <clears throat> Disciple making is equipped and commanded for. Hey, guess what? We have everything we need. We, need, we, we follow in Jesus We've been, we've been given the Holy Spirit. We have everything we need. We are ready. Now we just have to go. Take advantage of the opportunities God has given us. And then you may be one part or the whole part of the process. There's been times where I have literally talked to someone who have never... I, I met a, a friend from China uh, probably six or seven years ago. He had never heard the name of Jesus. He came to Jesus. And because he was a student out here, I got to pour into him every week for like two and a half, three years. I got to see a large part of his discipleship process. He ended up getting a sticker on his, on his car that said, Jesus loves you, just not as much as me. <laughs> like, or, or Jesus loves everybody, he just loves me the most. <laughs> a Chinese student driving around with a sticker on his car saying, Jesus loves me the most. But I got to be a part of his whole process, right? But there's other times where someone has come to Jesus and maybe like me, like I just wasn't a disciple. 
I wasn't deeply discipled. And, and I needed somebody to, to deeply disciple me. And maybe you're at that point. Just realize God's willing people in your life, they may be at different parts in the process. And our job is just to take them further on that journey to Jesus. Okay? So I, I put all those questions on the back, all this stuff. Now, again, hey, I know it's a lot. But I wanted to just back up and get the blimp view. And I know th there's probably nothing earth-shaking in what we've talked about today. But realize this, when you read and you dive in to, to what you're about to see, God using Paul in mighty and crazy ways to, to just take this wildfire and go, <laughs> remember that you and I are part of that process today. Don't get so caught up in studying the historical part of it that you, you, realize, you fail to realize that, hey, I have a part to play in this right now. God... Started a wildfire 2,000 years ago. It's burning bright today. He used people. He used the Holy Spirit. And then he used a plan. And none of that has changed. And if you're here today and you're following Jesus, you're right in the middle of it. Make sure that you're doing everything he has called and equipped you to do in that. All right? Hey, thank you for allowing me to be with you today. Let me pray for you. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next week as Pastor John continues the study. And if you're looking for more, find us at northportbaptist.org.